Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred two point three FM Riverside and one hundred five AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mister David Martino is back. I am back. You're back. I'm How back. are you feeling after yes. your uh, karate days and dollar store rush? And <laughs> I'm feeling good. You know, my my body is becoming more accustomed to to uh, going to training. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, weekly. And, You're going to be like yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger soon, yeah. <laughs> right? It won't be long. You know. No, of course. And I was that. You know, and there's this group on online. I heard, and I was thinking, this is for you. I thought of you right away. What they're doing is they're selling a filter for your water because they want you to get vegan water. Oh, that's right. Because there's been fish in the water. So (laughs) this filter makes sure, I guess, that there's no fish remnants. I I guess so. I I lost the logic in this. But anyway, you can get vegan water and you're going to feel so much better. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. I was, you know, I, I was thinking of you. Oh, so I'm going to order you some filters and have oh. them sent out. Oh, perfect. And if they don't work for the water, you can always use them for your coffee. Yeah. I, I, I hate to have fish in my coffee. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, your, your coffee tastes fishy. <laughs> oh, my God. But that's the same woman, you know, that likes the, doesn't, never, I, I won't even. No, that. no, but no, that's, no. But that's, that's crazy. But anyway, you never know what's going to be popular the next day. So. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I'm always thinking of you. Thank you. And uh, today we are going into uh, Mystery Detective, but in a children's book. So we've got an author with us today who's written some books called the, uh, I believe it's the Botanical Hill Detective Mystery Series. The latest book is Jacaranda Street. So Cheryl Joseph, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. 
let, let's talk about your your history here. So you've come from teaching school, and now you're writing about uh, kids. So how did that happen? I was a teacher. Uh, actually, once a teacher, always a teacher. I bring a lot of what I learned and experienced as a teacher about kids, about reading and writing, uh, into my books, uh, as well as my interests. I, for example, in my first book, uh, The Botanic Hill Detectives Mysteries, my first book was called Nutmeg Street Egyptian Secrets. You can probably figure out that one of my interests is ancient Egypt. So what I do is I pick out some a topic of interest, uh, and I research it thoroughly. And then, because I don't want to bring any misinformation in to my books with, for kids, um, right. I want to make sure it's all historically accurate. And um, I devise uh, plot points around it. So that's how I work. What drew you to this in the sense of now botanical? What was it about that? Like, why? how did this idea of this series come about? I love that question. I get asked that all the time by kids when I do school visits. I live in a neighborhood in San Diego that has a lot of streets that have botanic names, such as Nutmeg Street, Palm Street, Jacaranda Street, etc., etc. So one day, 10 years ago, I was out walking my dog, and I'm looking, I'm looking at the street names, and I thought, you know, I want to immortalize the, these street names. I just think they're so quaint. In fact, I grew up in the neighborhood where I still live, and there's one street called Nutmeg Street, which turned out to be my first book title. And when I was a kid, I used to think that if I could live on Nutmeg Street, something magical would happen. I don't know why I thought that. Just maybe because it's such a cool, quaint name, Nutmeg Street. It just sounds like a name that, like, you know, elves and fairies would live on or something. So I just kept that idea in my head, and I thought, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make this imaginary place called Botanic Hill. It's a neighborhood in a fictitious town called Las Palmitas in Southern California, which is actually a smaller, quainter San Diego where I, where I live, and that's how the idea came about. Now, your characters, do you grab characters from people and kids maybe that you worked with um, through the years at school, or is it completely imagination? My characters are a composite of my students over the years, um, and um, I'm a twin, and I have twin cousins who are much younger than me. In fact, my twin cousins were my students uh, as fourth and fifth graders. And so two of my characters, the main two characters, Lanny and Lexi Wyatt, they're the, they're the chief detectives, a girl and a boy. They are fashioned after my twin cousins, who were a girl and a boy. My third detective is named Moki Kalani, and he's fashioned after a boy I met in Hawaii when I went uh, to Hawaii in 2013 to congratulate myself on retiring. <laughs> and my fourth character, Rani Kumar, is from India, and she is fashioned after a student I had many years ago who was from India. Uh, so that's where they came from. Well, how do you create dialogue for your characters? Um, you know, we have some writers who hear the characters, um, some that uh, might read the dialogue out loud to make sure that it sounds right to the ear. How, how does it work for you? 
Oh, I love that question, too, because my students ask that uh, often when I go to, I notice I call them my students, I'll always call them my students <laughs> when I go to school visits. Um, I actually, I'm what's called a pantser. I'm not a plotter as much. I, I plot out little, like, chapter titles that I think would be interesting events that might occur that t for the detectives to get involved with to solve the mystery. And then I get to my computer, and I just zone out of the real world, and I enter Botanic Hill, and I start listening to my characters. I listen to what they're saying. They're in the room. They're trying to solve the mystery. And I just start transcribing what they say. And I know that sounds strange, but it's really what I do. I, I put myself in the and I start transcribing it. Sounds normal to me. Okay. <laughs> Good. That's what I do myself. Good. Well, thank you. <laughs> but, well, and then, well, how much control do you have over them then? Like when you're, it, it, is it sort of like watching a, a movie in your head when you're, when you're working with your characters? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Absolutely. In fact, that happens to be one of the comprehension strategies that I used to teach my students. It's called visualizing or making a movie in your mind. And so that's exactly what I do. I'm very visual. And so when, I, when I'm writing, I really am in that scene with them, in that room with them, or wherever they happen to be in the forest or wherever. And I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm visualizing their actions uh, and their words and, and all that. All that comes through to me. And, and you were saying how you wanted to um, make sure that the uh... – Information is correct, and you and you do the research, so like Egyptian secrets and stuff like that. Um, how long does it take you to do the research for one of these books? Well, I'm actually starting to research book six right now, and I probably won't start to actually write book six till January. So I spend a, you know three to four months reading biographies, if if that applies. Um, just doing other kind of research uh, online or via books or news articles or whatever. And I actually continue to research while I'm writing because other things come up. So it's an ongoing process. Well, how do you keep track of all the information that, that you that, that you glean from research? Um, do you have any tools? Do you have a system? Uh, how does that work for you? Um, I'm not a spreadsheet kind of person. I tend to like to just open a Word doc and uh, uh, copy and paste information. I, I try to write down where I got the information um, and put a date on it. And then when I'm ready to start writing, I can go open that document and I can scroll down and I can get information from it that I need. I'll put links in there, you know, people's names, notes to myself, all that kind of thing. So now, do you have a, a a subtext or some sort of a meaning to each book besides the entertainment or the mystery itself? Is there a is there some sort of um, theme that you want uh, the reader to get? Well, there's always a theme. Uh, the overarching theme of all my books is about teamwork. Uh, I'm trying to get my readers to see if you work together in a team, which of course the detectives do, you're going to accomplish a lot more. I also like them to see that um, that they need to be respectful. My, my detective characters are very respectful of each other and of anybody that they encounter. And as a result, they are also respected by the adults. And so I'm also I'm always trying to get that message across to kids that if, if you're respectful, you will be respected. So there, there's that aspect of it. Um, and I do think kids deserve respect. I don't think they get enough res enough respect. They're very intelligent and insightful and just smart. And they they have a lot to say. 
But also in my books, I usually have like a, a an underlying mystery going on, something that, like an undercurrent of a mystery on top of the mystery that the kids start. For example, in my book five that's, that's coming out next week, the Jacaranda Street Gravestone Image book, um, the kids start out just looking at a gravestone. They're, they're taken to a, a derelict graveyard by a man in town, and he, he wants them to see his ancestor's gravestone. And it has these really cryptic messages on it. So the kids decide, oh, let's figure out what this means. What happens is that leads them to a deeper mystery that has to do with Edgar Allan Poe, who happens to be one of my favorite American authors. I was an English major in college, so, you know, that's also part of my interest, bringing my interests in here. So that's what I mean. There's always an underlying mystery, but my over overarching themes are always about kids. So I, I would take it that um, you were a teacher a long time and that during that time, you, um, you know, you, you changed a lot as you lived through the lives of your kids and stuff. Um, do you find that with each book, you sort of change as well, sort of in the same, in a similar aspect? Well, I, I like to think and hope that I'm becoming a better writer with each book that I do. Um, I think most writers would say that. I mean, I, I definitely set out to become a better writer. I used to teach writing to my students, so I always strive to improve myself. I take a lot of classes. I go to webinars. You know, uh, I have writing groups that I'm involved with. I'm always trying to learn and improve my craft because I want it to get better. And the reviewers of my books will say things like, I don't, I don't, never thought I could say this, but this book sounds better than the one before. This writing is crisper, or there's more description now, or, you know, they, they promote what I'm really trying to, to do. It's like, well, I guess I'm doing it all right if they're noticing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a yeah. good thing, right? Yeah. I mean, so what made you go to be a writer? Like, what was it? Um, was it something that you always wanted to do? Like, as a kid, you were in that time frame, like when you were, were you writing back then? And you kind of thought, well, man, I want to be a writer. Absolutely. When I was in the fourth grade, I discovered Nancy Drew Mysteries. I was never without the book. I always had it in my desk at school that would go back and forth from home to school with me. I would save my money. I would go up to the store the next week or the next month whenever I could save up enough money and buy the next one. And I finally got the entire 58 book collection, and I still have it to this day. And I've read each one of those probably four times. Maybe I could get into the Guinness Book of World Records for that. I don't know. But anyway, um, <laughs> I learned to love reading and writing from Nancy Drew books. And I cared so much about Nancy Drew, I felt like she and I were best friends. So I started writing little mysteries for her um, because I was worried about her, and I wanted to be able to control the level of danger that she encountered. So I started writing little mysteries for her, and then I would make little shoebox dioramas of various scenes from my books that, that I wrote for my little stories that I wrote for her. So I planted that idea in my head that I always wanted to write mysteries. I want to continue to do that into adulthood. But then, of course, life happens and you have to make a living, you know. So I um, became a teacher. But the great thing about that was I still got to 
read those kinds of books to kids because of the grades level I was teaching. Most of the time I taught elementary, but I also dipped into, into middle school and high school in my career. So then in 2013, uh, a few months before I was going to retire, one of my students said to me one day in a book club we were doing, Miss J, you could write a better book than the one we're reading. And oh my gosh, the light bulb, everything like went off in my head. And I, and I, I thought, I said to her, you know, thank you for reminding me that that's exactly what I want to do. So I retired at the end of that school year. And after I took that trip to Hawaii in September <laughs> to celebrate, you know, my freedom, I opened my computer and my laptop and I started writing. And that was 10 years ago, and I'm five books in now. Wow. So, you know, this series, did you sort of um, have it in your mind to write a series when you started book one? Absolutely, I did, uh, because I, I wanted to make it like Nancy Drew. My my characters are sort of a composite of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. I have two girls and two boys. So, yes, I absolutely started out knowing I wanted to write a series. And how many, do you sort of have that in your mind, how far you're going to go, how many how many in yeah, the series you want to do? I do. do. I, I'm you going do? to write 26. Um, I'm, so I'm writing one a year. <laughs> and um, Well, you'll, you'll almost be 50 when you Thank finish. you for saying that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to live long enough to write all 26. And so I, I'm, I'm scrambling. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. Uh, my goal is to get through 26. And why 26? Because there are 26 yeah. streets on Botanic Hill from A to Z. And the streets are in order, but my books are not following that in order. I'm jumping around, just keeping my readers curious as to what the next one will be. What street will it be on next? So that's what I'm doing. So now um, they say that as an author, you put some of yourself into your characters, mm -hmm. each of your characters and stuff. Which do you think you put the most of uh, yourself into? Which character? Do you have one in particular? Oh, no, I don't have one in particular. I think there's a little bit of me in each of the four detectives. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, for example, L Lanny, his real name is Lanyon. Uh, uh, named after my, that was my grandmother's maiden name. That's where I got his name. Uh, he goes by Lanny. Um, he loves the Hollywood movies from the golden era, and I do too. <laughs> so that's where he got that. Yeah. <laughs> he also loves Sherlock Holmes. I do too. Lexi, his twin sister, uh, is more emotional, and I'm, I'm very emotional as well. Um, and she uh, loves poetry and literature, as obviously I do. Moki is, loves cooking. Um, he, he's, he's really funny, but he hates snakes. He's, he's very brave, but he's absolutely f very fearful of snakes, as am I. And then Ronnie, the fourth detective, she and I have a mental ability called lexical gustatory synesthesia. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. Dave, how about you? You ever heard of that? Uh, no. Okay. Do you know what synesthesia is? No, no. we're, we're, okay. we're, we barely oh. graduated. <laughs> And I know I'm turning this around asking the interviewers questions. Uh, synesthesia is just in a very simple way to describe it. It's when you have uh, extra connections in the brain um, between senses that normally are not connected. So you've probably heard of people who see colors if they hear certain musical notes 
or they see colors when they look at a page and they see letters or numbers on a page. That's synesthesia. There's connections in the brain that connect certain um, senses that aren't normally related. So lexical gustatory basically translates to word to taste. It's the rarest form of synesthesia in the world, something like 0.02% of the world population has this kind of synesthesia. And basically what it is, it means that when Ronnie and I hear a word, especially a person's name, we taste something. Sometimes we also get the aroma of it. For example, my name Cheryl makes me taste cherry jelly. Ronnie's name makes her taste raw green beans. Dave, your name is barbecue steak. <laughs> and Alan, your name is celery. Now, don't ask me why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, that's about right. It's in my brain. It's just it's what happens. And I, and I can't change it. <laughs> and I can't stop it. But yeah. I really enjoy doing that, having that ability, because I think it makes me a better writer. I think it makes me more in tune with my senses, my, all my senses, and I think I bring that to my, like, my descriptions, for example, in my, in my writing. Well, add a side, of, a side of fries with gravy to Dave's. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got that one right down. <laughs> you know. So what came first for you? Was it the characters or was it the theme, the story itself, kind of the, the outline of, of, of what was going to go on? I think the characters popped into my head first when I, that last year I was, actually it was probably the couple of years before I stopped teaching, before I retired. That was when I had my twins, uh, my twin cousins as students um, in fourth grade. And um, I remembered thinking, if I ever write that book, I'm going to put them in the story as a girl and a boy. And that's where it took off from at that point. Um, and I started observing my other students and thinking I'm going to put a little bit of, you know, that, you know, student A in the, it, for this character and a little bit of student B for this character and all of that. And now they're just so meshed that I'm not sure anymore who contributed what to them, but because they've become real characters, almost real for me, like my children. In fact, sometimes when I go to school visits, I always get asked, um, which one's your favorite? And I always say, I can't play favorites. They're all like my children. I love them all equally. So, so when you're driving to these, uh, these schools, uh, um, are your characters talking to you? Do they tell you where to go and <laughs> tell you to do bad things or anything like that? Are you hearing voices at times when you don't plan on it? Well, not when I'm driving, fortunately. <laughs> Uh, but sometimes when I'm just, you know, like reading a book or trying to watch a, you know, Eddie, Eddie Muller, you know, uh, Saturday Noir, you know, when he does the noir things, I, I like to watch this on Saturday night. All of a sudden, I will hear my detectives talking to me. And what they often were saying to me is, um, come back to the computer. You know, we have something you need to hear and there's something you need to write down. And it happens sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I hear them calling. Get up. You can't, this won't wait till the morning. You have to open that laptop and transcribe what we're telling you. And that's true. Wow. That's, that's what happens to me. It just, you know, like be watching a movie or, you know, I'm on TCM watching a movie or I'm reading a Nancy Drew or I'm reading one of my friend's novels and it's like, I got to put it down. I got to stop. I got to go to the computer. 
that's how it when it mainly, okay. mainly happens for me. Did you ever wake up with blood on your hands? Fortunately, or? no. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty shoes. And well, like you know, that. in middle grade writing, you can't have too much gore, blood gore or violence uh, in, in the book. So, yeah, I think. And that's that one of the reasons I enjoy writing them because I'm not really into blood and gore anyway, and and violence. So that works. Yeah, there, 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 it it has to it has to have a reason to be there. Like you know, um, like when you say you watch Eddie Muller, he'll be on the show too the same week okay. as you. And uh, and yeah, I know him. He but the um, when you're doing that, like in in certain scenes, uh, it's needed. Like in some of the noir, like you need some sort of a an edge, right? But uh, but it's it it shouldn't be there just for the sake of being there, you know. I try to put a little edge into my books. Um, usually, I'll do what are called cliffhangers at the ends of chapters. I'll leave the I'll leave the reader hanging, and they've got like they got to turn the page and keep going. Kids really, I learned that from from children. Children really love books that have that in it. So that's why I, what I always try to do in my books at the end of each. Almost at the end of almost every chapter. So you're the reason, you know, they didn't get their homework done because they couldn't stop there reading you, go. you leave a cliffhanger. <laughs> so they go, well, I'll read next chapter. And then you cliffhang them again. And they keep going. And all of a sudden it's like 3 in the morning and they got to be up at school. So it's your it's, I guess it's my fault. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, they're learning valuable lessons from my books. And they're learning history and they're learning to be better citizens and all of that so um you know that offsets it for me yeah yeah tell them to tell that to the teacher oh, well i will um, if, if he comes <laughs> up in fact maybe they'll listen in on this and then he won't have a problem yeah. with it then they'll know so, so how do you choose which historical events or things or places that you want to cover in this series it just kind of pops into my head. Um, uh, I, I'm not really sure how. Usually it'll come from my reading, or, or sometimes I go out for a walk and, and an idea comes into my head. For example, in Eucalyptus Street, I was out walking my dog one day after a storm, and we have eucalyptus trees in my neighborhood, and a tree fell, uh, and it was huge, and it fell across a street and almost hit a house. And uh, these big roots were exposed, and I thought, you know, I'm going to put that into one of my books. So that's where Eucalyptus Street came from. There's, there's a, one of the adventures in the book has to do with a tree, with a, a tree falling. Actually, three trees fell. Um, so that's where that comes from. You never know where an idea is going to come from. My book six, which I'll give a little hint about, I got the idea from an old universal horror picture starring Lon Chaney Jr. I love those old universal pictures, like, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, all those. Well, the book six is going to revolve an around an idea I got from one of his move, one of Lon Chaney Jr.'s movies called Man Made Monster, where he is made to glow like a light bulb. <laughs> I don't know if you know that movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was just on Sven Gulli. Not too long yeah. ago. Yeah, I, I enjoy Sven Gulli too. When I can break, when I can break away, actually, sometimes I record that if I'm watching uh, uh, Eddie Muller, you know, on the other channel. But anyway, um, yeah. So, um, that, so I never know where an idea is going to come from, but it usually comes from something that I'm interested in historically, 
And I don't think my books can really be called his, historical uh, historical fiction because I think they have to be back 50 years in the past. And they also kind of like them to be set in that time zone. My books are all present day, but they hark to some mystery in the past, some event in the past. Um, so I call mine Mysteries with a Twist of History. Right. How do you, how do you stay away from... Uh, current issues that all all around us, you know, that they 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 probably hear about all the time, you know, or do you stay away from it? Do you do you insert some of the today's you know news into what's going on? I I try not to. Um, I I I'm not sure why. Maybe I'll go there in the future, uh, but I I haven't done that before. I think I I I've listened to kids what kids want. And kids do enjoy history, but my students really like world war history, like World War II, even the girls. Um, I was amazed by that. Um, uh, they were The books flew off the shelf whenever I had books about war in, in there, even with the girls. And in one of my books, I, book four, Saffron Street Island Danger, revolves around a, a, a mystery with Pearl Harbor. So it's set in Hawaii, actually set in Hawaii on Oahu. And it revolves around Pearl Harbor. So um, I never know, you know, I might come forward in history more so. You know, I, I'm, I guess I'll be in the 1940 with the Lon Chaney thing. But, um, yeah, I might do something in the future uh, more current. Well, there's, there's sort of, it's unresolved current issues. That's probably another thing, right? Whereas, right. Um, you, know, uh, you know, I was just actually talking to Eddie about that and a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the enjoyment comes from old movies. What you get, or both of us agreed on that, is is a lot of the things that are going on in those old shows. It's it's resolved. It's old history. We know how it ended. So it seems to be more comforting. I don't know if that it makes does make sense. sense. You, but yeah, I, I think that yeah. too. And I think that um, one of my goals too is to bring to light for kids maybe an obscure point of history. Uh, in my third book, Walnut Street Phantom Rider, I talk about a character, uh, well, I create a character who is based on a real person who was named Bass Reeves. And Bass Reeves was a uh, United States Marshal. Uh, he was African-American. One of the first African-American U.S. Marshals back in the 1800s. And I... I kind of figured maybe kids didn't know too much about him. So I brought him out of obscurity, and I created a character revolving around Bass Reeves, that, which allowed me to put a little historical information in the front and or back matter of my book. Um, so that's what I try to do. I, I think that's one thing that makes all the past, the past, the historical aspects, as opposed to current day aspects, much more interesting to me, because sometimes they, they become obscure. Right, right. And and I think they're important. I think um, some of those uh, people in our past, um, that was an enormous step. Like, for instance, for Bass, like the guy you just mm -hmm. mentioned, in the sense that he didn't have a person like that to look up to, to copy. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't have that already. He was the initiator. He started it, and people down the road could hear about him and go, wow, that's impressive, and they have them, and so they they'll – react differently just like you know when you watch those old movies and see things a lot of those writers back then didn't have 
other movies and shows to follow, you know, to influence exactly. them. They were creating a lot of the originals. So I think it's, I think it's a really good aspect. It's very neat. And it's, um, it, you know, it, it gives people something, uh, to look forward to in a book, you know. Yeah, and I don't think, perhaps right now, people aren't, people are famous. We have famous, you know, people living, of course, but right. they might become more interesting over time. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And, I think that's how yeah. it goes. Like, just that, like all the yeah. current events and stuff. It's, you know, when you're in it, it's not the same as looking back at something, right. you know, it's, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, the whole, the whole thing. I think that's what I, I always ask, because a lot of writers, you must learn a lot by going through these subjects and writing it down and, and kind of researching. It must it must give you a lot in that way, too. It absolutely does. I learned so much about Edgar Allan Poe, uh, beyond, way beyond what I learned in college or on my own over the years about him from reading a, 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 a really wonderful biography about him that was written, believe it or not, in the 1940s, but it's still uh, considered the definitive uh, Edgar Allan Poe biography to this day because it was so well done, um, and uh, I reference it in my book. Um, but I learned so much about him that I felt like I was walking in the streets beside him while I researched, and so that is so important. to You, know, you can bring that as a writer into your book and try to make the kids go back in time to that and feel that and experience that and know that on a much richer level. That's what I try to do. I think that's important. That's great. Now, now characters, um, what's the key thing for you to making them um, live forever, so to speak? Like, you know, we look at someone like uh, Sherlock Holmes. There's, there's different characters alive or never have been alive that um, stay with humans 100 years mm -hmm. later. You know what I mean? They still write about them. They still follow them. They still try to, to be like them or whatever the case. What do you think the key elements are for a character? That which makes them classic is what you're asking, like yeah. Fancy Drew and the yeah. Hardy Boys. My mind, right. That's, again, yeah, when you yeah. when you said that, my mind uh, went right to that, right, right to those characters. Um, and uh, Nancy Drew will forever be 18. And my characters will forever be 13. Uh, they're frozen in time uh, with that. So I can write all 26, and they're still going to be 13 years old. So I'm not sure if that will immortalize them. But I also like to think that, like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, my characters are smart and respectful. And I don't think that's going to go out of style. I hope it doesn't go out of style for kids. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. You know, we need more of that in the world right now. Uh, we need yeah. insight and uh, respect and truth. And my characters offer that to the world, And um, as did Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. So, uh, like I said, a lot of what goes on in my head about my characters are fashioned around my BFF from when I was a fourth grader, namely Nancy Drew. So why didn't you write my story, and then I could be stuck at 13? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, come on, because now I'm getting Well, old. you can do that. This is terrible. And, you know, it keeps you young. It really does. I think yeah. it keeps you young. It keeps you thinking uh, young. That's one reason I like to write this for this age level, because I have to stay current with what is going on with them, uh, especially with technology. I try to bring that into the book. The kids are smart about that, though. They're not constantly on their devil devices, 
you know, they're, they, they put them down and, and do things the old-fashioned way once in a while. And I try to show kids that, yeah, you can do that too. You don't always have to do everything on your phone or on your laptop or whatever, you know, or by social media. But I do mix that in. Well, is, is it a challenge keeping your characters, let's say, at 13, with how quickly technology evolves and the world is moving? Um, well, not so far. We'll see what happens. I've looked <laughs> 15 or hooked 20. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but Well, how do you keep up on their slang? Do you, do you go out and hang out the schools and... And pick up their words, yeah, or what? I, or you, you, you're on TikTok. I you know, actually no, I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I, I won't. I don't know if this, if I can say this on the air, but um, I read somewhere that um, TikTok is called cocaine for kids, and I don't <laughs> want to contribute to kids' drug abuse <laughs> via <laughs> social media. You know, so, shall we say, or, or yeah. social media abuse via TikTok or whatever. I don't yeah. want to contribute to that, so I don't. I'm not on TikTok. Well, if I could say, you know, because I'm on TikTok, mm-hmm. and and I have like fifty thousand followers, but you know, the thing is, most of the time when I see kids on there, they're pretty good. They're actually not bad. They belong to things like Book Talk mm-hmm. and um, different groups, and they're talking about. I read this book. I yeah. saw this. I saw that. They're actually, the kids have been pretty good that I see on TikTok. It's the adults oh, yeah. that are nuts on TikTok. You know, we haven't been on the moon and all this stuff. They're, they're the ones throwing around stuff on TikTok that's crazy. Um, so if I can say anything, the kids on TikTok, if it's cocaine, they're actually handling it quite well because they're, they're, I don't get a whole lot of garbage from the under 20. Well, that's so. good to know, but I guess what I was thinking more so was, the amount of time that they spend um, on social yeah, media, yeah. as opposed to what they're they're saying or how they're coming across, I think that's right. the problem. Is I don't necessarily want to encourage them to, you know, constantly be on social media. I want them to put the devices down and have a face to face. In my first book, that happens where the, the Lanny and Moki are off to the zoo to interview a herpetologist about poison about venomous snakes especially the Egyptian cobras because of something that occurred and Moki is terrified of snakes but he always goes along with Lanny anyway and Lanny he says why can't we just look it up online why can't we why can't we text her and ask this herpetologist at the zoo he says there's nothing like the real thing in person so I'm trying to get that message across to kids. Sometimes, you, can, you know, it's better to actually go see the person live and talk to them. And it turned out it was the better thing to do for the kids. Well, I'm curious, what changes did you see in your students uh, over the years as technology evolved and the world became faster? Most of them are, well, okay, I would say from like, 1995 to 2013, that time period, I think technology revolutionized their ability to learn. Uh, they are they became smarter and more insightful. That amazed me. Uh, they became more um, resourceful, and where they taught me a lot of things in the classroom about where to look online for something. I, you know, I would be looking up, Miss J, try so-and-so website. Okay, you know, or can you come up and try it for us? And they'd get up in front of the class 
and you know and type into the on the onto the computer and it'd project on the screen you know and sometimes it'd break down and they would come and show me how to do it and they loved that they loved sort of all of a sudden knowing more than the adults knew <laughs> so it gave them power it became almost like a superpower to, for kids and so i think in all of that for all of that it's it's really great it's really really good where it's not good is when like i said earlier when they're on it all the time um, right. You know, you go to a restaurant and they're they're not talking to one another. Everybody at the table has their face in their phone, <laughs> you know, hmm. that kind of thing. <laughs> it's about balance. So I try to show a balance in my books. Yeah, yeah, it's probably better yeah. that way. Well, so now, where where do people find you? Where do readers or followers that, that want to get into your book, you know, your website, any social media you do have or anything like that? I'm on, I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter, actually X, we call it now. Uh, I'm on um, I'm in Pinterest. I'm on Instagram, and I have a website. My website is CherylJoseph.com, and I have lots of wonderful information in there about my detectives, about my series, about each of my books. There is a place where teachers can go to get resources uh, and to sign up for school visits. And my school visits are free, by the way. And I love meeting kids. It's For me, it's all about kids. Well, fantastic. Now, of course, we'll make sure that's up on our websites so that people can find you easily if they forget. And, of course, your newest book, Jacaranda Street, Gravestone Image. It's uh, book five in your mystery series. That'll be out um, on the 26th. So, again, we really appreciate you being here. Cheryl Joseph, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Cheryl. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.